us. It's in the name of Jesus I pray, amen. Yo, Saw Company, how we doing? Oh, it's good to be back. Some of you guys are tanner than last time I saw you. Congrats on tans. Great. Uh, well, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Joe Nealis. I am the Salt Company director here. Uh, man, it's good to be back. Hey, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and flip over to the book of Galatians. You probably would have never guessed. So Galatians, that's where we're going to be uh, tonight and the rest of the summer. Um, have you guys ever had where too many people are talking to you at once? Really, like, I can't think of anything more frustrating or overwhelming for me is when I get too many voices at once. Like, who am I supposed to listen to? Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was in need of a rain jacket. You know, my rain jacket wasn't working. I need to get a new one. And so my wife and I and my parents were in town. We went to a store and we're looking for a rain jacket. And I don't know where the rain jackets are. I never go to this place. And uh, there was a worker who clearly saw that I was lost. And they're like, hey, uh, do you want help like finding the rain jackets? I'm like, yeah, sure. And my wife kind of looks at me a little bit like I just made the worst decision of my life, letting them take me to where the rain jackets are. And I'm like, what you, okay, whatever. Uh, so we go over to the rain jackets and I quickly realized that that was a bad decision because this person, uh, they get paid essentially to um, give me monologues about why I should be a member at their store and everything. They're like, look at all these rain jackets. Let me tell you everything you ever need to know about rain jackets and all that. And, and then also, are you a member? You should become a member. And then you went on for like 10 minutes. And I'm a nice guy. So I just kind of was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And I did not want anything to do with this membership thing. I was like, I'm not, you know, you're not taking my money. You know, I'm trying to get a discount, okay? Uh, I'm not here for this membership. And then, so he's talking to me and while... He's talking to me, uh, Anna, and then my parents are like, look at this rain jacket over here. Look at this rain jacket. Look at this one. This one's great. You might like this one. And then it was like, who am I supposed to listen to, right? And uh, I didn't end up even getting a rain jacket, which is a bummer. But um, <laughs> the whole reason I was there and I didn't. Anyway, so, uh, but the point being is it was like, man, there's a lot of voices that I need to listen to. And I was like, which one can I listen to, right? This guy is trying to sell me things like, And these, like, I don't know, my parents don't really know the kind of things I like to wear and, you know, what voices do I want to listen to? Um, And when it comes to our walk with God, there are a lot of voices, right? A lot of voices uh, to listen to, and some will guide you in the right direction and others won't. See, in the passage we're going to look at tonight, the biblical author, he's writing to a group of people who have a lot of voices speaking to them at once on matters of faith. And the question that they want a clear answer on is how can normal people like us, like them, have a personal relationship with God? Because there were, the problem for them was that there were a lot of people who were saying they were answering it in one way and Paul is saying he's answering it in a different way. So lots of different voices trying to answer this question. And maybe that's a question that you've asked in your life at some point in time. And how how can I, how can we have a personal relationship with the God of the universe? That's kind of a really big question, and you'd want to be clear on that. And so, in tonight's passage, the Apostle Paul, uh, one of Jesus' closest followers, he answers that question for them and for us. And if we miss out on the answer he gives us, we can risk exchanging the joy of following Jesus for burdens and confusion. What we're going to see is that Paul's answer to that question is simultaneously the 
easiest thing to believe and the most difficult thing. And so if you guys have your Bibles, Galatians 1, that's where we're gonna be. And we're just gonna start reading in verse one, says this. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there's some of you, some of some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we've said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, a curse be on him. For now, am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So how do normal people like us have a personal relationship with God? And how can we know for sure? If you're taking notes, point number one is this, the distorted gospel. The distorted gospel. So Paul, he wrote this letter to, like I said in the passage, to the churches in Galatia. So kind of all these churches within the area, right? So it's, it's almost like if you were to get all the churches in Ankeny together, right? He's writing a letter. He's writing a letter to these churches in Galatia. And what was pretty common in that time, it actually was, this is what they would always do. Whenever Paul would write a letter to a group of people, it was commonly read in front of all these churches. So everybody would gather together and they're like, oh, yo, Paul wrote to us. We gotta listen in. And so they would gather together and one person would just read this letter that, the Apostle Paul, right? The man, he wrote it. We wanna listen. And so they're listening. You can imagine, right? They're, they're listening to Paul's letter to them. And they're like, all right, you know, uh, verse three, grace to you and peace. They're like, oh man, things are going well, right? He's opening his letters like he always does. And he says, hey, man, to God be glory forever and ever, right? Things are on good terms. And then they get down to verse six, Right? And it's almost like Paul is like smacking them in the face a little bit. It's, he goes right into it and he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ. Paul's coming at him. And you can imagine as they're reading this, they're like, Paul wrote this to us. This is great, grace and peace. Oh, <laughs> uh-oh, yikes. Like Paul's coming after us. Why? Like what? Why is Paul so concerned of the churches of Galatia? Usually, if you, usually Paul has this kind of structure he follows whenever he writes letters. And he'll say, here's who I am. Here's who I'm writing to, grace and peace. And then he'll say, man, I'm so thankful for you guys. I pray for you all the time. You know, if you've studied Philippians or Ephesians, you know that that's generally how he will open up letters. And where they would usually expect him to start talking about how thankful he is for them, he goes at them. Why? Like, what's the big deal? Because not too long ago, here's what happened. Not too long ago, Paul, he came up to Galatia and he was preaching the gospel to them, right? Uh, this message 
of how humanity can have a relationship with God through the work of Christ alone. And he's communicating this, and man, this is good news. It's incredible. And the Galatians, they hear this, and man, they start to place their faith in Christ. It's like this little mini revival that happens um, in Galatia. But shortly after, so, you know, it's kind of like this big party, right? They all hear the gospel. This is, they're rejoicing. It's incredible. Paul's like, all right, see ya. I need to keep going on my missionary journey. I'll write to you later. And things seem to be going all right until a group of people, these Jewish Christians come to these new converts and they start to say some things about the gospel. Like, man, you really shouldn't listen to this Paul guy, right? Like, Do you you really believe that to have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, all it takes is to place your faith in Jesus alone? Really? That's kind of ridiculous. Like, why would you want to believe that? And these people, they were called Judaizers. Good luck spelling that if you're taking notes. Judaizers. And here's who the Judaizers were. Uh, They were... Uh, Pharisees at one point, and a Pharisee, if you're not familiar, uh, those were leaders within uh, the Jewish faith. Um, And so there were these former Pharisees who placed their faith in Christ, but they're taking some of their old beliefs and they're kind of meshing them together with this gospel that they've heard. And so what they're saying now is they're like, hey, in order for you guys really to have a relationship with God, uh, you need to not only believe in what Jesus did for you, like that's kind of 50% of the deal, right? The other 50% is you need to follow these Old Testament guidelines, these codes, these regulations, which meant a whole host of really exciting things. Like you gotta eat kosher. You can't touch certain things. And for the guys, it meant circumcision. Woohoo, great. I got your attention. Uh, so, Uh, But in other words, these Judaizers came to the churches of Galatia and they caused a ton of confusion about the gospel, causing many Galatians to turn from the gospel they heard from Paul and to take on this more burdensome version of the gospel. And when Paul hears about this, he's shocked. Like he's frustrated. He's even, he's heartbroken, right? Like, guys, how could you believe that to to have a personal relationship with Jesus is Jesus plus something else. Like that you have to do all these extra things in order to really win God's favor, in order to really be a child of God. Like, why would you believe this? Like, this is more burdensome, right? Like after everything I've told you and after all this rejoicing. And in verse six, he kind of starts off this confrontation he has with the Galatians by saying something pretty shocking. He says that because they've turned away from the only gospel, they've actually turned away from God himself. Talk about a bold statement. Verse six, we'll read it again. Look with me if you have your Bibles. Paul, he says this. He says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly turning away, there's that language, turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You see, By turning to a different gospel, they turned away from God. By turning to a different gospel, they turned away from God. They're essentially saying, hey, God, the way that you've provided for us to have a relationship with you is nice and all, but we want something more, right? (laughs) Like, we want what you originally have. We want to make a couple edits. We want to add a few things. 
And so they've turned away from God to a different gospel, this gospel that these Judaizers are giving to them. But that was, that was then. What about now? I mean, we don't fall for false gospels, right? Like we're kind of, we're, we're in the 21st century. We have our Bibles. Like we don't fall for false gospels, right? Like that doesn't happen to us or do we? Well, we wouldn't be quick to admit it. What we'll see is that we are just as susceptible to believing false gospels as the Galatians were. And what are the false gospels that we believe? There's a whole host of them. I just wanna give you a few. So if you're taking notes, here are the first few. Number one is the commitment gospel. This is the first false gospel that we can believe, the commitment gospel. So this is the belief that if you're committed to what you believe in, you'll go to heaven, no matter what religion you are, right? So you go to heaven if your commitment to your religion is really sincere, right? You might look at somebody who doesn't, they may not be a Christian, but you're like, ah, but they're really sincere about it. Like they really are committed to it. And so we're like, oh, you know, they probably will go to heaven. Have you heard that before? Or have you thought that before? And what's appealing about this false gospel is that it seems kind. It seems charitable. Like, hey, you're doing your thing. That works. That's great. It kind of, it commends effort. But the reality is, is that it's deeply unkind. It's deeply unkind because it encourages people to keep pursuing their truth, even though the Bible says that it will lead them to an eternity apart from God. So that's the commitment gospel. The second one is one that I think a lot of us have heard about before, the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel. This is one of the false gospels. And um, I wanna say this before I dive into it. Um, I think we all have an idea of what prosperity gospel is, right? We have an idea maybe of like that like television preacher with a nice suit and a lot of money. And that's what we think of with prosperity gospel. We're like, that's wrong. I don't believe that. And then we think that we're fine. Like the prosperity gospel doesn't actually really affect me. I don't believe it. Um, but what I think that you're gonna see is that the prosperity gospel is actually more elusive than that and that it can actually seep into our hearts. So the prosperity gospel is the belief that if you and I just have enough faith, God will give us the life that we want. Have you heard that before? Like, man, if you just have enough faith, then you're gonna have the life that you want, right? So, um, if we go to church and we read our Bibles or we're nice people, God will keep us healthy. He'll give us the lives that we want, right? He'll give us, uh, man, that spouse or that relationship that we want. If I'm just faithful enough, right? If I have, you know, you know I'm reading my Bible or man, I'm gonna get that promotion at work, right? But uh, when suffering happens in your life or when something bad happens in your life, the only thing that would make sense to you is because you've upset God and now he's punishing you. That's the prosperity gospel. The belief that if you and I just have enough faith, God will give us what we want in life. But the problem with this gospel is it takes material blessing and it makes that the treasure instead of Jesus himself. And in the gospel, Jesus is your greatest treasure. That's the gospel, not material blessing. And the prosperity gospel has destroyed the faith of a lot of people because they, man, they go to church, they do the Christian thing and then something happens in their life and it falls apart. And they're like, man, I, I did all the right things. Maybe this is where you're at. Or maybe you've got family who have said that, man, I'm doing all the right things. I'm going, I'm going to Saul, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, you know, I'm doing, I'm a nice person, right? And this is how God repays me. 
Friends, that's the prosperity gospel. And it's destroyed the faith of so many. The third one is the most common one, I think, but it's called the scale gospel. The scale gospel is the third false gospel that we can believe in. And this is the belief that whether or not someone goes to heaven is based on whether or not someone's good deeds can outweigh their bad, right? Uh, One of the questions I love to ask people when I meet them is I'll ask, hey, if you were to stand before God right now and he would ask you, why should I let you in? What would you say? And most people will be like, well, man, I've done some good things and I've done some bad things, but I, you know, I'm, I'm generally, like God knows my heart. Like I'm, I'm generally a, a good person. And that's the scale gospel. The problem with this is how do you know if you've been good enough for God? Because the reality is there are things that all of us have done that we're ashamed of. That if we were to answer to God for, we would be really nervous. And you just hope, man, I hope that I was good enough. God, I hope that what I did was good enough. And the problem is, man, are you just going to wait until you get to heaven to figure that out? And man, won't that be too late? That's the scale gospel. And the last one hits home because this is one that I, I can personally believe and I think it impacts a lot of those of you who are followers of Jesus. It's called the performance gospel. The performance gospel. This is the common belief that we maybe uh, have if you're a follower of Jesus, which says that God's love for you rises and falls based off your obedience to him, Right? Like, man, you're really doing well with God. Again, if you're reading your Bible and you're doing the Christian thing, he really loves you then. Though maybe you, you miss a couple salt companies. Maybe you don't go to church as much as you know you should. And, and you know, you could list any number of things. And when that happens, you feel as though God no longer loves you. And then now it's back onto the same treadmill of, man, I just need to, do enough so that God would love me. It's almost like this roller coaster. Maybe you've been there. These are often the gospels that Christians and even non-Christians can believe. And if Paul could speak to us today, he'd probably say the same thing he wants to say to the Galatians. Listen, as enticing as those gospels are and the kind of lives that those gospels can promise to you, don't believe it. <laughs> don't believe anything other than what the Bible says about the gospel because that's where life is, and it's not worth it. So there's something that needs to be asked. Paul, he's, he's kind of coming at them and saying, hey, you need to believe me, not these Judaizers, right? Um, but what gives Paul the authority to say that? Like, what makes his gospel true and uh, the Judaizers not? Like, why should they listen to him, right? Like, why should they listen? Because if Paul didn't have the authority to know the authentic gospel, then the Galatians can totally dismiss them. And we could too. See, in this passage, the Galatians had already began to dismiss Paul. Point two is this, the trusted source. The trusted source. Um, A couple weeks ago, I was surfing through uh, uh, Facebook Marketplace. You can find some great deals on there, by the way. You're welcome, all right? Facebook Marketplace, it's great. So we were looking for a couch for our, um, for our home for cheap because balling on a budget. We're looking and I find this incredible sectional, amazing. And it's a great price. And I'm like, look, Anna, isn't this awesome? She's like, great, send in an offer. And I'm like, all right, great, send an offer, bing, you know. And uh, so things are going really well. And, you know, I'm messaging back and forth a little bit and things seem, a, I don't know, a little weird, but I don't know. Uh, 
I'm, I'm, when I make a decision, I'm like, I'm just gonna go for it. So I'm like pretty sold that we're gonna buy this thing. And Anna kind of has this moment where she's like, ah, uh, Joe, something feels wrong about this. Can you go to their Facebook profile? I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's just a sweet old lady. Come on, like it's just, you know? And, and so I go to her Facebook profile and I'm like, oh, she made her account two days ago. Uh, well, you know, it's probably, you know, my grandparents do that, you know, where they're off Facebook and then they're on Facebook. And so I'm like, you know, it's just a sweet old lady who doesn't know what she's doing, all right? It's okay. We've all been there. And uh, so other, uh, <laughs> the next thing that happens is I'm messaging her and I'm like, hey, yeah, we're interested. Um, here's the offer, whatever. And she messages me at midnight, okay? So that's a warning sign. She messages me at midnight. So she's gotta be, she had like her, pro, her profile picture, by the way, it was like her with a birthday cake that says 75. So I'm like, what are you doing up at midnight? My grandma goes to bed at 7, at 7 p.m. I don't, what are you doing? Anyway, so she messages me back and she's like, oh. she's like, well, um, sorry for my late reply. I got stung by a hornet and uh, I took some Benadryl and it took me out for seven hours. And I'm like, whew, all right, grandma, you know, like, and I was like, this is not real, right? So I looked into it. We ended up buying it. It was 100% a scam. I'm glad that I double-checked it because she was not trustworthy. Why do I share that? Uh, in some ways, this is what the Judaizers were saying about Paul. His gospel, don't trust it. It's a scam. Don't trust his gospel, See, this group of people thought that Paul's gospel was too simple, right? These Judaizers are like, man, place your faith in Jesus to have a relationship with God. That's it. Come on. It's got to be more than that, right? It's too good to be true. And so Paul, he essentially, he addresses it head on and he essentially says this. Listen, you can criticize me all you want. Uh, that's fine. But only if my gospel was in fact man-made like you claim. Like if this is just a fraud, that's okay, you can criticize me. Um, but get this, my gospel is not a fraud. My gospel is not my own, it's God's. Look at verse 11. He says this, he says, for I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me, it's not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a source and I was not taught it, but it came by revelation of Jesus Christ. So you know what he's saying? saying, the final authority of my message is Jesus, not my imagination. I'm not making this up. You can trust this gospel. And if you read from verses 13 to 24, so the rest of the chapter, what ends up happening is Paul, he goes and he's like, hey, here's what happened. I saw Jesus. Um, here's how that changed my life. Here's the life I was living. I met Jesus. He gave me the gospel. And now here's what I've done to preserve it, to make sure that this gospel is trustworthy. And he shares all this to ground the authority of his gospel in God himself to say, hey, I didn't just make this up. See, the Galatians had found themselves doing something that we can be guilty of all the time. The Galatians were allowing the voice of man to be louder than the voice of God. See, by listening to the words of the Judaizers' different gospel, they had made the voice of man louder than the voice of God. And the result was that they were led astray. They had turned from God. But what about us? What about you? I wonder if we can be guilty of something similar today because while we don't have Judaizers, we 
do have other voices in life that can lead us astray if they become louder than God's voice. See, the Galatians, they needed a reminder that ultimately, if what they hear does not match what God says, then it, it, it can be dismissed. If it doesn't match what God says, it can totally be dismissed. And so the same thing is something that we need to hear for ourselves, that if what we hear from others doesn't match what God's word teaches, then what they, can, what they say can be dismissed. Now, does this mean you can't listen to podcasts or sermons? No, you should listen to those. But it does mean that we need to frequently spend time hearing the voice of God in Scripture. In other words, if we make God's word the foundation, we can trust that we'll believe the truth over lies. And so, Saul Company, what if, what if this summer was not just you know, a summer that you not only vacationed from school, right? Not, not like that this summer wasn't just a time where you vacationed from your time with God, right, sometimes. And I'm guilty of that. We're on vacation and I'm just like, well, I'm, I'm not gonna read my Bible. I'm not gonna spend time with him, right? Maybe you've been there, I've been there. But what if this summer was different? That instead of taking a vacation from God, you really dove in deep and said, man, I want to know him more that you took the free time that you had and said, man, I want to spend more time with Jesus. I wanna learn more of his word. Man, I want to have those false gospels exposed so that I can experience the joy of the true gospel. What if that was how you spent your summer? Point number three. If you're taking notes, the unbelievable truth. So the question we've been asking is how can you have a personal relationship with God um, and Paul is answering that question. We, we, we've seen what the Jewish Christians were teaching. We see what we've heard today, but what is, how does Paul answer that question? Um, I think an illustration might be, might be helpful. I, imagine for a moment, all right, that you're back in school. You're welcome, school, so exciting. Uh, but imagine you're back in school and man, you have a test coming up. And this test is worth 90% of your grade, right? And you're like, dang, yeah, 90% of your grade, and this is one of your least favorite classes, chemistry, math, you know, whatever your least favorite class is. And you hear that you got this test coming up, and so you study. You study a ton, and so test day comes, and you take the test, and you bomb it, right? You do horrible, and you're like, man, that was me a couple weeks ago, Joe. You're, that's incredible, uh, right? But that's a bummer, especially when the test is worth 90%. But 90% of your grade, and as you start to freak out over your test score and how you have to retake the class, your professor says, hey, can you come up to my desk? You're like, oh, okay. And your professor is like, hey, probably as you know, you bombed the test. You failed, and you're going to have to retake this class. And you're like, oh, man, it starts to set in. You're like, man, I have to spend money on this class. I have to do this again. Like, I, oh, man. And, and you're upset, and the teacher looks at you and says, but <laughs> your best friend got a perfect score. And to shield you from retaking this class, they offered to exchange their grade with yours. And so you get their score, well, they get your score. Congratulations, you've passed the class. And you're like, that sounds awesome. I wish this could happen in real life, right? Uh, but some of you, when you hear that, might remind you of the story of the gospel. The reason that you were able to pass that class was not because of the work that you've done. It was something given to you. In the same way, that's true of the gospel. 
Uh, Listen to how Paul describes it in verse three. Verse three, he describes this gospel really briefly. He says, grace to you and peace from from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. There's a word, there's a phrase there I wanna focus in on. He says that he, Jesus, he gave himself for our sins. What does that mean? There's a penalty for our sin. And instead of making us pay for it in incredible love, Jesus came down to earth, God in the flesh, and he took our place. He put himself on the cross, taking on the penalty of our sin. Why? Verse four, Paul says, it's to rescue us from the present evil age. What does that mean? When you think of present evil age, right, you might think of like your crazy aunt or uncle's Facebook page talking about the days are evil, you know, end times post. What does that mean, right? There's actually riches there. What does it mean, present evil age, that he's rescuing us from that? The best way to think about it is that he's rescuing us from living lives apart from God and into a life connected to him. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sin and connect us to God so that while you're still living in a broken world, you can experience the joys of walking with Jesus, having a personal relationship with God and the ups and downs of life. And so all of this together, here's what the gospel says. God looks at us, God looks at you in your sin, in your rebellion against him. And instead of welling up in anger, he overflows in love, sending his son Jesus to do what you and I could never do in order to receive something that we could never earn on our own. To put it simply, the gospel is this. Jesus died to save sinners. Jesus, he died to save sinners. And I wonder what you think of when you hear the word sinners, right? Maybe you... um, Man, you think, you see people use that word to shame people and you're like, man, I don't want any business, you know, anything to do with that. What does it mean to be a sinner? It just means this is someone who has done what God has said not to do. That's what it means to be a sinner. And you know who fits into that category? Me and you. Every person who has ever lived because all of us have done things God has said not to do, that if we were to stand before God on judgment day, we would be speechless to have to answer for some of the things that we've done. That's what it means for us to have sin in our lives, for us to be sinners. So what does it mean that Jesus came to save sinners? He died to save those stuck in patterns of sin and addiction who have made decisions they're not proud of. He died to rescue those in shame, guilt, and brokenness. Salt Company, Jesus, he didn't come to save people who are good on their own, right? People who have it all together. You know who he came for? Jesus came for sinners. He died for sinners. In other words, Jesus came to save us. He came to save you. He came to save me. And here's what that means for us. We don't need to pretend to be good enough anymore. You don't need to do that. The jig is up. You don't need to try to prove yourself to God and we don't need to strive to be good enough either because we never could. I love one author, he's a, a, a pastor in California. He said, uh, he describes the gospel this way and I think it's really helpful. He says, quote, grace is God working his way down to us so that we don't have to work our way up to him. And God comes down to us in Jesus. 
That's the gospel. You don't need to work your way up to God. You don't have to, it's not this scale gospel if man, if I just live a good enough life, if I go to enough church service, if I just do enough good deeds and then I would be saved. No, it's not us working our way up to God. It's God working his way down to us and he comes down to us in Jesus. It's a friend in the room who maybe has not accepted Jesus yet. Man, what's stopping you from accepting this good news? That all you have to bring, all that you have to um, contribute to your salvation, contribute to your relationship with God is your sin. And at the cross, Jesus forgives it. He rose again to set you free from your sin, to bring you into a relationship with himself. And so maybe you're here and you've already done that. You're like, man, I'm, I'm following Jesus. I've placed my faith in him. Maybe the question you need to ask yourself is this, what false gospel am I prone to believing? And that's a hard question to answer. Man, what's, what false gospel am I finding myself believing? Because perhaps like Galatians, you started off strong in your faith. You knew the gospel, you knew that your good deeds couldn't save you, but then something happened, right? Like I, something happened and you began to believe that God's love for you, it rises and falls based on your performance. That sure, God loves you, but he doesn't like you. Maybe that's where you're at. It almost seems like your life is this constant cycle of feeling like you've earned God's love and then feeling like the least deserving person in the world to ever experience it. You don't sense the love of God for you because you're like, man, but I'm such a sinner. I've done so many wrong things. Believer in the room, maybe what you need to hear tonight is this. You can't, you didn't earn God's love for you and you can't unearn it either. It was never about your performance. God looked down to you when you accepted Christ and said, I love you, done, <laughs> forever. So how can you and me have a relationship with God? Our passage makes it clear. Paul, he wants to make it clear to the Galatians. He wants to make it clear to us. The answer to that question is this. It's through faith in Jesus, not faith in ourselves. Through faith in Jesus alone, not faith in ourselves. So non-Christian friend in the room, what do you wanna do with that? <laughs> what do you wanna do with that good news? Because friend, in his love, he died to know you. That's the gospel. Friends, we have a relationship with God only through faith in Jesus and what he did, not faith in ourselves. That's good news. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the gospel. <laughs> um, that when Paul says grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us who have placed our faith in you, Jesus, we're the recipients of that waterfall of grace and peace. No matter who, who we are or what we've done, it's unbelievable. God, thank you that there's nothing, that if we are in Christ, that there's nothing that we could ever do to unearn the love that you've given to us in Christ. God, thank you that you loved us enough to die on the cross for our sins, for our rebellion, for turning away from you. That we can have a personal relationship with you through faith, and not in ourselves, but through faith in you. And so God, I pray for those who are in the room who are kind of living life and are like, man, I don't know about this Jesus. I don't, I'm kind of new to this. I don't really know if I'm, what I think. And, and God, I pray that you'd begin to work in their heart and that God, even tonight that they would say, man, I wanna start a personal relationship with God. I want to, 
have a relationship with Jesus. And God, I pray that the gospel would fall on their ears freshly, that they would hear that it's not about their performance. It's not about outweighing their good with their, yeah, outweighing their bad with their good deeds. No, a relationship with you, God, is a free gift of grace and it's only given to us through faith in your son. Thank you, Jesus, that that's true. It's why we gather. It's why we're here. It's why we praise your name. And so, Jesus, I pray that as we lift your name in worship, would you be glorified? Would you remind us of those gospel truths afresh? And so we pray this in your name. Amen.